Central.com. Good morning. It's Wednesday and it's time again for Animal Central. We've got an awesome show lined up for you today. We're going to be talking to Dr. Alex Niven, who's a veterinarian who works with, who has worked with many, many different types of animals. And he's now brought out an amazing book. So we're going to be looking at that. And then after that, we've got Dr. Clint Austin in to talk to us about Parvo. And also to discuss vaccinations, because there's been a lot of controversy around that of late. Is it necessary? Why is it necessary? Are there side effects? So, Jono, it's going to be a great show. Yes, and you know, parvo is very interesting to me as well, because I once had a dog who had mm. parvo. And what the vet said is that dogs that are tanned mm. are more likely to get parvo. Really? So, the the sort of the... Um, the Rottweiler markings yes, are, yes, yes. are more, those dogs are more likely to get parvo. And my dog was at that time a little miniature Doberman and he had the markings of a Rottweiler right, right. and he got parvo. It was so interesting. Good uh, yeah, luckily we were able to save him, but it really is a devastating disease. I mean, it can happen in days. Your puppy all of a sudden looks sick and he looks yes, quiet yes. and you think he's just lethargic. And the next thing you know, it's too late. It's, He's it's dehydrated. Late. And He's it's a dreadful disease. It really, really is. Yeah. So we've, we've got a great show lined up. But before we start, just a couple of things that's been going down this week. Um, firstly, I don't know if you've seen still the, the, the war raging about Cecil the Lion. Yes. So next week, we're going to dedicate our show to Cecil. Okay. We're going to have the people in from Campaign Against Canned Lion Hunting. And we're going to have the NSPCA Wildlife Division in again. And let's talk about it. Let's see. Well, what we the one can good thing out. that's come out of this is the amount of conversation that is going mm. on. Oh, and um, I, I got to see uh, Blood Lions, the pre-brief oh, screening you? of it. And, you know, I thought I knew a lot about canned lion hunting until you really see the reality mm. of it. And what really stuck out for me is that lions don't naturally get orphaned. And all of these places that are allowing for lion petting and they're saying these are orphaned cubs, we give them back to conservation, it's, it's not true. Mm. These lions are being bred and these volunteers they come from overseas and they they send money to raise their lion who they think is going to be released back into the wild Mm -hmm. they're basically raising their lion to be shot to be shot so it was really eye-opening so i'm dying i can't wait to see it i think we uh, we definitely have to dedicate a full hour just that is what we're doing the producers of that show no right but now you say that john i just had a meeting with gareth and you're leaving us. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, I've got a lot of new duties at Cliff Central and I feel that, you know, the animals are safe in your hands and this is your passion. This is your love. And, uh, this is what's, it's time to move well, on. Well, I'm very sad. No. I mean, we've been such a great team. I'm still going to be around. And, and uh, if ever okay. there's a day I need to stand in for you, I'm here. I'm just I'm just in the next room there. No, it's <laughs> exciting on one hand. But, you know, we've been a great team since day one. No, and, for sure. you know, this week we climbed in our ratings, mm-hmm. which was so exciting. Yeah. So we, we're getting there. We're one of the top shows now on Cliff Central. Exactly. And, and now I go and lose my, my partner in crime. No, no. <laughs> this is not goodbye. This is just a. Au revoir. Okay, cool. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right, but let's let's get started with Dr. Uh, Alex Niven. He's in studio today. Now I've had a look at his book here this morning. Dr. Alex, thanks for coming in. Really an honour to have you in the studio. And I see your book is called The Cow at the Window. Now, first, let's start by you telling us a bit about yourself, because I see that you're a vet, a homeopath. You've worked with everything from horses and cattle and uh, cattle and dogs, even buffalo and lions. So tell us your story. Well, Sharon, let me begin at the beginning by saying it's my pleasure to be here this morning. And to at last meet the face behind this lovely magazine. <laughs> oh, Canines okay, Zone. Thank you. So well done there. Yes, um, I'm one of these people who are trying very hard to find something I'm good at. Hmm. So my full title is Reverend Dr. Alex Niven. Ah. But my four-year-old granddaughter, Holly, my little Scottish princess, calls me Alex so I think we must stick to Alex. Okay, we'll do that. Like Alex the Lion. Alex the Lion. Alex the Lion. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, as Paul McCartney said, I'm more a lover than a fighter. Okay. <laughs> so, 
Now, I'm, my history goes away back to veterinary practice in the 1970s. And you know what was exciting in those days? Because there were lots of modern things developing. And veterinary medicine was very much an art mm. rather than the pure science that it's become. And a passion. One of the things I will point out is that when I was interviewed to see if I would get a place in Glasgow University, the five professors who interviewed me wanted to know if I had the attitude to make a veterinarian. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, it's pure acad- academia. Academic, mm. you're right. And that's a, that is very sad. I wonder what those things were they were looking for you, in you. To, it was important in those days that we, we looked at animals and we looked at them from the heart. Mm. Mm. It's like the old GP. You went to see your old GP and he said, Sharon, you don't look so well today. How can we help? Whereas I'm afraid medicine now is the, the machine's ticking up all the time. Right. And that is a disappointment. And of course, in the seventies, when I was practicing, we did not have referrals to the specialist centers. You dealt with everything. mm, We had to deal with everything. I'm not saying that we made as good a job of everything as they do now. I am not saying that. Mm. But we did get the opportunity to do some amazing things, like orthopedic work, even open chest work. Right. We did all of these things, and it was so exciting. And you were working in an, an environment where the relationship between the animal and the human was a fascinating mm. thing. And that's, mm. where, that's where the idea of my stories came from. Basically from there. From there. And, and you're quite right. I mean, vets, I'm not saying all vets these days, but it is like a treadmill. Next customer, next customer, next customer. And I got a great vet who, who phones me to say, how is whichever animal needed care? Mm. And that just makes it so personal. And he cares. You know, in, in medicine, any branch, if you can deal with someone who cares. Who cares. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a deacon in the Catholic Church, and we do a lot of counselling. And if you can let, allow people to talk to you and let them know that you care, yes, they actually come up with the solutions themselves, right? Rather than just straightforward. I, I went into one clinic, and the 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 owner of the clinic had got about five different practices. He said. Um, the only thing that matters to me is how much money mm. someone leaves behind. Oy. That's only a few. I know yeah. some fabulous veterinary practices in the area mm. where that doesn't happen. No. Real people Correct. with big hearts. They who help shelters, who, who do spaying sure. and neutering at low cost. Wonderful. There are a lot out there, but there are a lot that, that are not like that. And I know there was a couple of months ago, there was something on carte blanche about how costly veterinary care is these days. And where do you go if you don't have the money or you're a pensioner? Well, I think it's the same as the scenario in the human field. Mm, right. You know, I, I got my gallbladder removed a few years ago. Mm. 11,000 rand for 20 minutes. Yes. <laughs> right. So veterinary medicine is nowhere near as expensive as that. But we always have this balance between what can we do and what can we do with economics. Right. What can I do because I genuinely want to help? Mm. What can I do that needs to be done? Yes, yes. And I think in my story, some of these things come because through. veterinarians also need to earn a living. You know, they they can't do it out of just pure love. They have to live. So it's a difficult one. It's a difficult one because you know it's it's six seven years study, mm, right. and all that income that you've lost yes. that you may have been earning takes a long time to, make to come that back. Up, right. But uh, yeah, it can we can go over the top. And even just running a practice, I can mm. imagine buying all that equipment, the equipment it your is staff. It's, when I go, when I take my dog to the vet, you really see what an operation it is mm. from the secretary in the front to the helpers who help the vet to mm. the, all the equipment at the back. It's fascinating. It's, it's, it's a wonderful world out there. Mm. And this is why when we go back to the seventies, oh, it was different. Oh, really? Mm. It was so exciting. But now your book is, is that about your experiences? 
I did lots of public speaking at one time, and, and when you go along, you have to prepare. So I would write out my stories. Hmm. And it was from those stories that I had kept that the family insisted that eventually I put them into print. So that's actually the first of five volumes. Wow. Okay. Okay. And I see here, I mean, you've worked with, I mean, it's called The Cow at the Window. So let's start with cattle. Is that something you've, you've worked with a lot of cattle? I worked for 12 years in a big agricultural practice in England. Okay. And um, cattle are wonderful things. I must tell you a story. When I started courting my wife, Teresa, I told her one of the things I really liked about her was that she reminded me of a cow. (laughs) 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 Well, funnily enough, that did not go down as well as it might have. I wonder why. (laughs) But then I explained by saying, but you have the most beautiful eyes with the most gorgeous long eyelashes. And that, yes. that helped. Yeah, I'm sure it did. Well, cows are beautiful. Oh, cows they are, are. Cows are wonderful mm. things. And they're, they're so responsive to good management. You take something like a Jersey cow. Oh, it's a gorgeous thing. Mm. Mm. And from there, the people who were working with cattle were fascinating. And we're talking about an era where you did not have cell phones. Some of these farms did not have telephones. Yeah. Sure. So you're going out at night to try and help a cow that's giving birth. And mm. if you don't know where you're going, you get lost. Yes. And it's a foggy night in England. So it's, it's, it's a wonderful time and it's a time that must not be forgotten. No. And what I'm very keen on doing in my books is bringing out the part that our veterinary nurses play. Mm. I always maintain that veterinary nurses do more healing than the vets do. Yes. Because of the love that they have. The passion for animals. And we had some fabulous girls in our day. And we used to work so nicely with them. None of this prima donna Mm -hmm. attitude. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lovely story there, if I may. Um, um, Elaine comes to me and says, look, one of the cats that we operated on this morning is not well. It was in for a spay. So I said, oh, woman. She says, Alec, come and see it now. Mm. So I went to see it. Beautiful Siamese cat. You know the noise that Siamese yes, cats. Yes. And it was going backwards and forwards with the tail up and singing away. And I said, look, I don't see anything. She said, look at its eyes. And it's got the most dramatic pair of crossed eyes. Oh. It could see around corners. <laughs> mm, mm. And... Oh. I had done the operations, but one of the other vets had done the preliminary work, you know, full examination beforehand. So I said to him, you did the workup. Was this cat normal? He said it was dead normal. So I worried about this for a whole day. I phoned the owner. I said, look, John, I've got a little bit of a problem. Ah, is my cat going to die? You know Mm -hmm. the story. And um, we eventually, we kept it overnight this cat was completely normal. Joan comes to collect her cat. Oh, she says, so that's what you're worried about. She says, I got that cat for nothing because it was born like that. Oh. <laughs> completely cross-eyed. Completely. Oh. We, we were all panicking because we thought it had a, yes, a result of an Some kind of brain damage, yes, or something. O- overdose or something. Oh, so the stories, the stories range from simple little things. Yes, yes. To, there, there is some very good um, veterinary work in it, including the story of how I, I repaired a fractured thigh on a big dog mm-hmm. with the stainless steel pin. We did quite a lot of that ourselves. Yes. And at the end of the operation, Andrea says, we've got a problem here, Alec. This dog does not want to go home. <laughs> Do you know what I'd done? I had screwed the pin into the table. <gasps> oh, no. Oh. So, Oh, my word. So it couldn't go home. So we we decided, well, look, the dog could stay here forever. (laughs) It can go home with the table or maybe we just saw it off. (laughs) So I'm also honest. I'm honest with myself and talking about how things things went wrong. Yes, yes. You know, but there there are some wonderful stories of of hope, Mm. of imagination. There's one lovely story there. 
which on the one hand was a very frightening story. Young girl had been out riding her pony, and when she was coming back to the stable, she was walking over some concrete, and the concrete gave way like a mm-hmm. sinkhole would. Right. But there was an underground river there. Oh no! So there was a drop of about two meters, and the water was deep. So when I got there, the only way we could rescue the pony, the fire brigade. Put me into a harness. So the pony had fallen down into the hole. Into the hole. Oh. So with the harness, they lowered me into the water. I had to anesthetize the pony in the water, and then we had to hoist it out. Whisk out. Mm. Well, that was it. but that was frightening because the drug we were using was an extremely dangerous drug. And was it okay? No broken bones. It no? was magic. It was a gift from God. It went so well. Goodness me. I mean, I see here you, you've even worked with elephants, uh, eagles, lions, mm. and that's, that's incredible. Is that in this country? In this country, yes. Mm. Yeah. Well, although um, I did work with some zoo animals in, in England as well, but they will be coming more in the, in the other books. This book yes. is mainly, mainly cattle, okay. um, horses. Yes. Wonderful story there of a, a real problem with a horse that was losing weight. Valuable horse And you know we could not find An explanation for it And one day I was watching Another horse outside the stables Mm. And I saw All of these chickens Really enjoying themselves eating Outside one of the stables And we eventually found That there was a little slit In the manger So that as they put the food in And the horse was trying to eat He was pushing the food out through the wall. Oh, so, so he, he wasn't wa- getting anything. Poor creature. So he thought I was a hero. The chickens. Oh, the, chicken, the chickens didn't like the you. The chickens hated no, me. I'm sure because <laughs> they went their food source. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, uh, when you say elephants, eagles, <coughs> buffalo, is that was that at a game park or in in a zoo environment? Because I'm also a homeopath, I've mm. been very interested. I formulated the EcoVet. Range of, of medicines, which really? are very successful Absolutely. and very cost effective. Yes. And from that, I've been working on game. I'm particularly interested in the translocation of game. And with Buffalo, we've got a very exciting product and development at the moment. If you put it into the water, it just relaxes them enough to allow everything else to go on a bit more smoothly. It doesn't work on Teresa, though. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if I could get some of that. Get me through deadlines. (laughs) But I know the EcoVet range. Uh, In fact, we've written about it. It's it's brilliant. I mean, that is homeopathic uh, principles at its best for animals. So you absolutely agree that homeopathy is something people should look at with their pets. I think it's important that the person or the animal finds whatever in medicine suits them both mm. best. Now, I, I fell over four or five weeks ago and I've got um, damaged um, sciatic nerve. Mm. Chiropractic work is helping enormously yes. there. If you get an acute bacterial infection in your lungs, you need antibiotics. Mm. Sure. But there is a balance between what is needed and what is also available. And we have this responsibility as custodians of our patients to find out what's best. Mm-hmm. And, and they can work in conjunction, can't they? They can work in conjunction. Homeopathy is proving to be very effective, more so even than we thought, because we now have a significant number of veterinarians who are qualified homeopaths. Rather than just hoping. Yes. You know, yes. From the pa- parvovirus that you're going to be talking about. Mm. I'll stand on my head and say that parvovirus and homeopathy are big friends. Really? Mm. When operated by people who know what they're yes. doing. Yes. 
As a preventative or as a, I think a it, treatment? I think it has a role in prevention mm-hmm. and certainly a role in treatment, particularly with these tiny yes, little puppies. Yes. Mm. And as you're going to be talking about now, what a disgusting disease. Mm, it's terrible. Mm. It's terrible. The heartache, the heartbreak, it's a mm. disgusting thing. No, it is horrible. I've heard of many little ones. Of course, it does attack the puppies mm-hmm. and, and it is totally heartbreaking. Totally, close. But we'll talk about that because, you know, I think the death rate is quite high. But going back to to your book now, why the cow at the window? Did this tie in with the story in the book? The cow at the window is particularly important to me because it was a series of different incidents. My wife and I went out to see a cow that was giving birth. Mm. And as we arrived and began treating her, she died. Oh, no. We were in luck because we work hard at producing the calf and resuscitating it, and we kept the calf alive. Okay. Then about six weeks later, my wife and I were back on the farm, and the the farmer's wife pulled Teresa aside and said, come and see this beautiful creature. Mm. And we've named her Tessa. Oh, after you. after your wife. So you know, you can imagine. Yes, the emotion. That, that's it. <laughs> so, so we followed Tessa through her life, through interesting stories. And the cow at the window relates to the fact that we couldn't find her one day when she's now about two years of age. We were looking for her everywhere to do a pregnancy test on her. And we heard this noise. And there she is. She's gone into the farmhouse. She's gone up. All this tiny little staircase. <laughs> yes. She stuck her head out of the window and she's going, moo. <laughs> <laughs> so she was in your house. In the farmer's house, yes. <laughs> oh, so it's a whole series of interesting. Gosh, I can't wait to read this book. It sounds like it's got so many exciting, you know, interesting. But I, I cry when I read the sad parts. Uh, there, there are a few sadly. sad parts, yes, because we... It's important that we talk about life as it exists. We mustn't gloss over things. There's a wonderful story in it about a ridgeback. I don't know if you're familiar with that condition they get, a ridgeback sinus. Yes, yes. Well, I I had a reputation for successfully operating on these. And this dog came to us with a really nasty one, and he was owned by one of the top vets in the area. And we all felt it was hopeless. But it was a long, arduous operation, and MacDonald, the vet, insisted on watching. Mm-hmm. But I got it. It was attached to the neural canal, and it came out. So he said to one of the nurses, he says, well, thanks, Eleanor, that's great. Let's go and have a cup of tea. Mm-hmm. He walked out the swing doors. Now, as he walks out the swing doors, it goes into cardiac <gasps> arrest. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Oh. Pandemonium. Luckily, even in those days, we had a, a well-practiced routine for developing this. Mm. So we worked hard with this dog for 15 minutes. Nothing. Mm. And I was on the point of actually opening the chest to manually yes, work with the heart, the heart. And I heard him coming back along the corridor. And as true as I'm standing here, as he opened the doors, yes. the, the heart, heart started, started beating again. Oh, <laughs> my goodness. That's Good a, that heavens. is such a true story. And the dog survived? dog was completely normal afterwards. And then we now see the other time side of human nature. Mm. You know, he took the dog home after three or four days, and you know, he never even phoned us up to say thank to you. To say thank you. Mm. Or gave the girls a box of chocolates. Yeah, you see, that's the the other side. That's the relationship that I find fascinating. I think Mm. a lot of vets go through a lot of hassles Mm. with people that blame them for for an animal passing away or, you know, something going wrong, which which can happen. I did have a story like that here too Mm. Um, in the Kailami area. I was working mainly with horses, but I'll never forget this day when this lady comes in with a border collie. It was an extremist. And her son was there, lad of about 14, 15, but a big, strong boy. They put it on the table, and it was gone. Mm. Hmm. 
So later on that afternoon, this youth comes back into the clinic and he's got a great big meat knife and he starts what? screaming. He says, I'm going to kill you because you killed my <gasps> dog. Goodness. So that, That's extreme. That was <laughs> scary. But luckily, his mother followed him very quickly afterwards and dragged him away again. So we see all kinds of it. Yes. No, I'm sure. I mean, from one extreme to the other, you know, mm. I'm sure you get them through there. Not all of my clients are pretty young things like you, Sharon. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're such a honey. Luckily, this is on podcast. When, I, when I'm down, Thank I can listen this. to it. <laughs> Yeah, but I think vets do have that challenge because not only are they dealing with animals, they're dealing with the humans as well. Mm. And you never know what's going to walk into your office. And yeah, I think that's very important. I always say that I've got two patients. I've got the animal and I've got the owner's attitude mm. to the animal. Mm. Yes. Now, for instance, when I work as a homeopath, I work in a big room like this. You would sit down, you would leave your dog alone. Or if I'm looking at a horse, I don't want you in the stable. I want to see what the horse is doing. Right. See, And then you will say to me, oh, I love this dog. And the dog looks at me and goes, you know, <laughs> I hate this woman and she hates me. You know, the, the two of them, the two of them won't. They just don't connect. They, they don't mm. connect, but he's telling me lies. Mm. Look at the situation, the all too common situation where a partnership breaks up. The dog or the cat or even the horse does not necessarily go with the party that it's most suited to. Correct, mm. yes. So this is something. When um, some of these stories, for instance, when, um, when you're looking at horses, sometimes you have to be quite blunt, particularly in the dressage field, because you've got, you've got um, a successful business lady, young girl, who's riding this expensive horse, and she's disappointed that it's not going to the top. And I will examine it. I said, look, the problem... It's not a physical problem. It's between you and the horse. Mm. They don't like that. Mm. But it's it, it's true. Yeah. And yeah. I think when you do feel that bond with an animal, there's nothing like it. Nothing like it. Or with a person. Yeah. Or with a person. You're quite right. I'll be 43 years married next week. Wow. Mm, God, congratulations. The, with, with your cow. Let, let me, oh. <laughs> with, <laughs> let, let, can I read you something? Yes. What... Um, not every cow is a lady and not every lady is a woman. <laughs> let me let me read you let me read you something. This last story is is about my wife's it's called my wife's bed warmer. Mm-hmm. And I finish it by saying I attempted to pacify her by telling the family of the interesting experience I had been through. The children listened enthralled to my story, the wife less so. I finished by telling her that Dan the farmer would organize a new blanket. And the good woman smiled and said to the children, And that, my dear ones, is simply your father. Farming vets have a tough life. God softened mine by giving me a special wife. Mm, that's mm. beautiful. That is beautiful. Because it's true. Because in those, eight, those, those days... Yeah, you've got to have a supportive partner. You know, if it was a Sunday afternoon mm. and a dog needed yeah. a cesarean, you even a couch, I needed somebody to help me. Mm. No, it's very, very important. And you're always on call. That support, mm. yeah. Mm. We worked hard. Mm. Now... Dr. Alex, where can people get hold of this amazing book? I know we're going to do a, a write-up on it and a review in the October issue. So we'll have details in the in, in Canine Zone magazine October issue. But other than that, where can they get hold of it? The best place to get it at the moment is on Amazon. Amazon. Do you okay. know about Amazon? Yes, it's this, it's yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've heard of it. <laughs> so they must look for... Uh, the Cow at the Window by Dr. Alex Niven, and they'll find it off Amazon. Yes. Dr. Alex, thank you so much. I think we could have kept you here for the next hour to have, you know, you tell us all these incredible stories. I'm going to go out and get that book because it sounds like my cup of tea. And, yes, we will certainly love to have you back in again soon and to tell us some more wonderful stories. Well, I would love to be back sometime, and may I end up by saying, the Lord Jesus Christ bless you and all your listeners. Thank you very much, Dr. Niven. Thanks, and we'll be back.
What an amazing interview, hey, Jono. I mean, yeah. just a, a man Such an interesting with character. And, and yes. Yeah. Yes, I'm definitely going to get him back in to come tell us some more stories. Mm, that's, for sure. that's for sure. Now, we're carrying on now with Dr. Clint Austin from Bayer, and you're going to be talking to us about Parvo. That is something that we get a lot of questions on, and we're actually covering an article on it in the October issue. And then I also want to just touch on, while we're talking about Parvo, about vaccinations, because I'm sure you've seen there's been a lot written of late saying that, Yes, after puppyhood, but it's not necessary every year. There can be complications. So I want to find out from you what the real story is about vaccinations. Fair enough. Hi, guys. Nice to see you. Yeah, welcome back. Yeah, welcome back. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, parvovirus. Wow. uh, I'm still reeling from Dr. Alex's Mm. interview. I'm not quite sure I'm going to top that. Um, If you get him back again, I'd like to come sit on the couch again, if you don't mind. (laughs) Parvo, um, otherwise known as cat flu. Um, which is a bit of a, a confuser. Um, they don't, puppies don't get parvo or cat flu from cats. The reason it's called cat flu is that it's suspected that the virus mutated from the feline pan leukopenia virus at some stage and mutated and became adapted to dogs. Hence, which hence is a name. cat virus. It, it, yeah, the feline pan leukopenia oh. virus is a cat virus and they suspect that this, this, this parvo virus literally mutated from cats and became adapted to dogs. They suspect that nobody's really a hundred percent certain of the origins of the of the cat flu or the parvovirus. It is a fairly nasty virus that attacks fast or rapidly dividing cells. And one of the biggest problems in a young puppy is the immune system, number one, and mm. the gut, which is why they come down with such massive intestinal symptoms, you know, the diarrhea, mm. the dehydration. Um, in spite of your best treatment, your mortality rate can be as high as thirty percent. Mm. Um, in, in spite of your best treatment, which is which makes it a, a devastating yes. disease for owners yes. and vets alike. It's basically, one in every three mm. will, will pass away. A- absolutely, and I mean, you can pour your heart and soul into these animals for two weeks, these puppy little puppies, and and they can still pass away. And sometimes they really have some fairly serious, long-lasting damage after that. Um, unfortunately, there is no specific treatment. For the disease, you're looking at supportive therapy. So you're treating and the symptoms. Absolutely. And the mainstay of, of, of treatment for these dogs is, is maintaining the fluid balance and maintaining the electrolyte balance. These dogs lose a lot of chloride. They lose a lot of potassium. Uh, you need to maintain that. And then just, you know, anti-nausea and also feeding these dogs from day one, getting nutrition into them to support their systems and, and help, help them fight off the yes. disease. The other, and, and, and again, we'll touch on vaccinations later. Um, the parvovirus or panic is included in the vaccinations. Mm. And mm. the, you know, some people say, oh, but it's not effective. The, the vaccine is effective. Um, and, and, but exactly how effective depends on the situation and how it's used. I would say the first thing to do is make sure if you do have a breeding bitch that the mothers are properly vaccinated. Because what happens is the puppies then get that maternal immunity in the milk yes. through the colostrum. Yes. And that's going to contain antibodies against cat flu and reduce, significantly reduce their chances of getting cat flu or parvo. The next thing is that maternal immunity sticks around for a while. And remember that maternal immunity contains antibodies against parvo. Now, when you give a vaccination, you're injecting antigens, parvo antigens. So what tends to happen is if you, when you vaccinate them very early in that maternal protective phase, you're injecting antigens. The maternal immunity that this puppy has now got from the mother's milk actually climbs in there and kills the vaccine. So it's mm. not the puppy's own immune response responding to the vaccine. Yes. So they don't, you know, if you vaccinate them too young, they don't always develop protective immunity from the first vaccination. That's not to say that you need to skip that six-week six week vaccination. You have to do that six-week vaccination. Right. It's not to say that it will be entirely cancelled out by maternal immunity. There may be some degree of cancellation or none at all. The newer generation of vaccines have got much higher titers, all right, so much higher counts, and they are actually then able to overcome that maternal immunity to make sure that the puppy then does develop uh, an appropriate immune yes, response. Yes. And then obviously at nine weeks and 12 weeks, you need to get those to booster vaccinations again. in place as well. Johnny, you were referring earlier to a little dopamine mm. pincher as well. When you're talking about tan breeds, your, what they call those black and tan breeds, mm. that's your Dobermans, your Doberman pinchers, your Rottweilers, German shepherds, yes. um, as well as American pit bull terriers are fairly prone. Oh, really? Um, yeah, funnily enough. And uh, Maltese poodles and schnauzers are actually seem to be more resilient. For Is whatever that reason, so, so the, the black and tan breeds they are definitely are, and they, they seem it seems to be due to a um, a difference in the receptors and the gut wall 
um, these dogs tend to be, be be more susceptible to E. coli infections as well. They t- and, and often you get the two infections together. Um, the infections one can often precipitate the other one. And unfortunately, it's a very very hardy virus out in the environment. It's mm. it's it's, it's um, resilient to a very wide range of pHs. It's not easily killed by common household infections. I was just going to ask you about that. It's highly contagious. Mm. I've been to people, reputable breeders, that if you go in there, you've got to literally put on almost like a medical suit. Absolutely. Because it's so highly contagious. Correct. And it can stick around in the environment for so long. Household bleach, good old bleach, mm. is good at killing almost anything. Mm. And that's probably the best one to use. But there's a whole lot of other precautions you've got to take as well. The problem is that the incubation period for the disease, so in other words, the period from when you contract the disease to when you start showing symptoms. Yes. It's about seven to eight days. But you start shedding, the dogs start shedding virus at three days already. Oh, so they can be symptomless and now starting to yeah, right, and they're contagious right, already. Right. So particularly if you are breeding as well as showing dogs, you know, when adult dogs come back from shows, it, you know, it's often maybe a good idea to just keep them away from the pups for a couple of days. Mm. Just isolate them and that kind of thing. Not that adult dogs get parva, but they bring a whole lot of stuff back with them. They may they may well bring it back so they, on their they can be a carrier absolutely okay so adult dogs don't get it not not commonly let's put it that way they hmm. they can be um so that they are isolated and very rare i mean in yes. my years in prec i think i saw two with adult dogs older dogs having a recrudescence and after what after age after, would that be where they I no longer susceptible generally after sort of four to six months they, they they generally have a fairly well-developed immune system by then, assuming that they've been correctly vaccinated, yes. properly vaccinated. And if they do get it as an adult, can they deal with it easier, better, you know? It's get, usually fairly severe, get over and the disease quicker? tends to take a, a more chronic form um, that appears to have more of an immune-mediated component to it as well. Um, the and there's generally other complications that go along with mm. it, but but yes, they they probably are a little bit easier to treat easier to due treat. to the virtue of their size and they're a little bit more resilient. Because I've I've seen parvo and it's it's not pleasant. That diarrhea has a specific mm. smell about it. Yes, smell it's a it, horrible yeah. smell. I've seen a little rottweiler, rottweiler puppy with parvo. It is not pleasant. What are the symptoms? What should people be yeah. looking for? The first thing you're going to get come up with in these puppies is that they're listless. They don't want to eat. And obviously diarrhea is usually the mm. first thing that people notice, but it's often accompanied by vomiting and severe vomiting mm. and often to the point where they're just vomiting up clear fluid. Yes. And the problem is they lose electrolytes every single time they vomit. They lose a lot of electrolytes in the with the diarrhea in the stool as well. They dehydrate. And then what tends to that dehydration tends to cause severe electrolyte imbalances and then precipitates a whole host of other mm. of other issues um, and systemic immune response. They're often very they, they get septicemia as well. And the wall of the gut is so badly damaged the thing becomes porous, becomes mm. a porous membrane. They start sucking up all sorts Good of heavens. bacteria from their gut into their systems. They become very, very ill. And yeah, a little thing like that has got precious little in the way of reserves. Yes. So you really, yes. you've got to be on top of your game. These things are going to be um, on infusion pumps. You've got to be monitoring them. You've got to be feeding them every couple of hours. You've really just got to do absolutely everything in everything your power to support them. So and help what them is the time frame? I mean, if I see that my puppy is not himself today, would you advise that day you take him to the vet? Absolutely. And so. not just for parvo, for anything. Mm. I mean, let's take, let's take Billary as an example, tick bite fever. The parasites in the bloodstream divide every eight hours. So you looking at your dog in the morning, oh, he's not well. I'll take him to the vet when I get back from work this afternoon. In that eight hours, the number of parasites in the bloodstream has doubled. Doubled. Mm. Okay, and look, I mean, look. And yet it's so easy to treat if you catch it. Absolutely. But now now you can think with a little puppy like that. Yeah. He doesn't have eight hours. When they get Mm. sick, they go down like a ton of bricks. Yes. And you really need to intervene and you need to intervene fast. So what should people do if you've got a puppy now? Should you not be taking it out to public areas if you're bigot or dog walk parks? If you have older dogs, should you quarantine them? How how can you protect yourself from this aside from the vaccines? Look, I would say your number one is make sure your dog is vaccinated mm. and properly dewormed. But um, you can't you can't put them in a bubble. Um, and I believe mm. strongly in the sort of um, antigen exposure theory where these dogs need to be exposed to okay. life in general to develop the immune response. It's not to say that everywhere they go, they're going to be exposed to parvo. And the type of people that are taking their dogs to dog walking parks and, 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 and those areas that are, those are generally um, well cared for dogs. Yes. People yes. that actually take the time and trouble to take their dogs right. to a place like that. So there's a very good chance that the dogs are very healthy and well vaccinated and that kind of thing. So I don't okay. think people need to become paranoid about I've, that. Because I've heard, you know, I've, I've been to Vorkhaven, for example, and somebody's brought a little puppy and I've heard the people whisper and say, 
that mm. puppy shouldn't be here because it can pick up parvo. So not necessarily. But theoretically could. Mm. I mean, if there, if there is an adult dog or let's say a younger puppy that's incubating parvo and they defecate in the area and the little puppy goes up there, it's there. Yes. But then what are you going to do? Are you going to wrap your dog in bubble no. wrap? But I mean, I the same could be said. I mean, we could be bringing it into the home on our shoes. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. Absolutely. I would so. say if you're going to get a puppy, go for a reputable breeder. That's mm. your number one. Yes. All right. So the guys that are really doing it Always. properly, they observe strict hygiene. Mm-hmm. They vaccinate. Um, they, you know, they really yeah. puppy puppy mills. The puppy mill dogs are a source of, of correct, correct, correct. Yeah. Another good reason not to support puppy mills. But just looking at the lifespan of this virus, how long does it live in your house for? So if you had a dog who had it, and then after that, should you not be bringing any other dogs in your house that don't live there? It can stick around for weeks to months in the environment. Mm. It's a very very resilient virus. And that's why I said, if you've had a sick dog, if you had a puppy with parvo, bleach, 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 mm. everything mm. from feeding utensils to bowls to the area where they've slept to the area they defecated yourself as well. Mm. You know, make sure you yeah. disinfect your hands afterwards. Um, if you are, a, you know, your good breeders will be practicing very good biosecurity. No, absolutely. So foot bars for gumboots and making sure yes. people are wearing protective aprons. Yes. But even if you go to, I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to visit the um the academic hospital at Honest Put, no, the University no. of Pretoria, and we can maybe set something up there That'd for you one great. day. But even the Parvo ward is, is isolated. There's strict hygiene and biosecurity principles that get applied. It really is ultra-contagious, and you really need to take mm. all possible mm. precautions. Mm. No, a- absolutely. And, and that now leads me to talk about vaccinations. You know, I read a lot of the overseas dog magazines and and there was an article in there written by a a very reputable veterinarian saying that he doesn't believe that animals need to be vaccinated after their puppy vaccinations. Um, And there can be side effects. And and I read this and I thought, oh, my word, you know, you telling your readers, vaccinate, vaccinate, vaccinate. What are your thoughts I think you need to listen to, you need to work hand in hand with your vet mm. and um, you need to have an open, honest discussion with your vet. The, the, the thinking does appear to have changed over the last few years, but there are still definitely two or three different schools of thoughts. You know, yes. There's the original thought where you must be vaccinated every single year and fair enough because not a hell of a lot of work has been done to demonstrate that the immunity sticks around forever yes. after you've had, let's say, your 6, 9, and 12 week and then your yearly booster. Nobody, there's not a lot of work to say, all right, 10 years later, this dog has still got sufficient sure. antibodies to protect it. Because okay. with humans, you, the babies have the vaccinations, but I think they have a booster when they're six and that's it. Yeah, correct. Mm. Um, and obviously, you know, there's this massive anti-vaccination yes. thing going on around the world, which doesn't help the view on animal vaccinations. My personal view is why I take the chance. The incidence of side effects is exceptionally low to mm. vaccines, exceptionally low. In, in dogs and cats, and even then, it's completely unpredictable. So, yes. in any biological system, any biological system, certain individuals in the population are going to either over or underreact. Well, it's the same with, with human absolutely. babies. It's like yes. me trying to take you into a pharmacy and tell you what you're going to be allergic to right. on the shelf. It's absolutely right. impossible. And you could take a drug, but I couldn't. Absolutely. So, so it's, everybody's it's different. And the same with dogs. And when you talk about side effects, yes. Um, Side effects generally include maybe anaphylactic reactions to to vaccines. Sometimes dogs can develop an autoimmune condition in response to vaccines, but the incidents are incredibly rare. So low is the incidence that it's actually the the benefits far outweigh and in orders of Mm. magnitude the risks here. Now, there are some that people that are saying, look, vaccinate 6, 9, and 12 weeks at one year of age and then every two to three years after that. Yes, I've heard that. Certain vets will recommend that you vaccinate every year anyway because people forget. Mm. You know, everything goes swimmingly and you realize two years, well, you haven't vaccinated my dog in two or three years. You know, so at the end of the day, it's roundabouts and swings by the time the dog sort of comes to the end of its lifespan. Yes. You know, it's probably averages out at you know, a mm. vaccine every two to three years. Uh, and that's, and that to me is a reasonable school of thought. Um, if you've got dogs that are really, really well cared for and your owners are really, really diligent, um, and, and you, and you say, okay, well, I, I think it's an acceptable risk to vaccinate every two to three years. Great. Mm. If your dog, if you are in a breeding setup or if you are a dog that shows or goes to you know, dog the, parks, the, exactly, or, or competitions, or yes. competes, everything that is regularly in contact with other dogs all the time, their disease risk is just that much higher. Yeah, sure. And then you need to talk to your vet and say, "Look, this is my exposure. This is my potential risk. Let's work something mm, out. What do mm. you think will work for me?" 
No, absolutely. And I think, you know, especially in terms of the, the shelters, they always ensure that those dogs are all vaccinated. And in fact, I've heard of a case where someone wanted to adopt from a shelter, but because her, the dog she owned previously had not been vaccinated according to schedule, she wasn't allowed to adopt. So, mm. but, but correct me if I'm wrong now, when, when I was a child, much younger, you heard about the condition, the condition called the stemper. These days, you hardly hear about distemper anymore because of the vaccinations. Am I correct in saying correct. that? Correct. Distemper mm. is a is an incredibly easy disease to prevent. The vac- all of distemper vaccinations available are incredibly successful, mm. um, and and generally, you know, you get very very good and long lasting immunity even from one distemper yes. vaccination. Right. Um, you know, from my days in practice, we had uh, dogs come in from sort of um, sort of poorer areas, um, particularly from 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 town or t- sort of township areas, or stray dogs that come in showing neurological symptoms. And yes, we found a stemper a number of times. Mm. So it's not to say it's gone. Yes, but it it is one of those diseases that is incredibly easy to prevent with vaccination. Right, right. I mean, when we were a kid, we had a dog that we'd rescued that developed a stemper yeah, and, and passed away. Yeah, that's the one thing. Yeah, it's a neurological horrible symptoms, condition really as well. You can do. And that's the only thing. To do with that is to vaccinate. Absolutely, yeah, vaccinate. Absolutely. And so, speak to your vet if you've got doubts. Um, you know, if if you find anything on the internet that concerns you, and that's mm. the issue we have with 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 internet. I, I think I think the internet is very empowering, mm. but there's a severe lack of Ugh. corroboration. Monitoring mm. and, and, mon- yes, and who's to tell you that wrong just because I read it doesn't mean it's that's true. correct. And that <laughs> yeah. applies particularly to the internet and to social media yes. spaces. Absolutely. And that's something we come up against on a daily basis. Mm. And so if you see something that concerns you, take it to your vet, print yeah. it out, send mm. your vet an email and say, hey, I saw this. What mm. do you think? Give me your opinion, please. But but don't buy into in, into mass Sort of mass hysteria. Mass I mean, hysteria. It, it's got yeah, to absolutely. the point of mass hysteria absolutely. with all of this. No, and use, I thought, well, look at the facts. Absolutely. Like the distemper. Use all the resources at your disposal, mm. including your veterinarian, the internet, yes. any other sources of information. But there's been the find. same hysteria going around about infant vaccinations. Correct. As well. And that's been going on for, for quite some time. Yeah. But now these vaccinations from puppyhood, what are they protecting against? You generally, for dogs, you get your general five in one vaccination, which is your Perinfluenza, your distemper, and you know we can the list of five diseases. Mm. Some of them will combine leptospirosis and a couple of other diseases. You can well. vaccinate against that. Yes, you can. In dogs. really, yeah, there is a leptospirosis vaccine available that actually comes in in, in a form of a diluent for the vaccine. Yes. So now that's the condition we spoke about. Last time you were in No, I think you're thinking of spirosuchosis. I am. Yeah, no, I leptospirosis am. Is, okay. a, um, is, is a different disease, yes. um, which can cause a whole a whole host of other symptoms. But uh, they call that 5-in-1 the DHPPI. So it's distemper, um, hep- canine hepatitis, parvovirus, perinfluenza. They call it a 5 And then, of course, rabies. And rabies an goes with that, but you obviously get that at the third vaccination. And then a yearly a yearly um, booster. And if we can just touch on rabies yes, vaccinations. Ultra, ultra, ultra important. Rabies is a notifiable disease. It is a killer. Mm. Okay, you do not ever want to see a child. There was a case in Florida yeah, a few weeks ago. Yeah, and there was ago. a case in Natal mm. as well. And and literally the case in Natal was horrifying. I mean, this guy, he was a, 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 a farmer's son, and he picked up a stray puppy. And he took this thing home, and he cared for it, and he happened to have some lacerations on his hand because he was a farmer. Mm. And this puppy, obviously from licking his hands, this guy picked up rabies. And they tried everything. Let me tell you, he died a long, slow, and horrible death. Um, rabies, I, I, would, I, would, I would go as far as to say that if you do not vaccinate your dog against rabies, you are it's irresponsible. Irresponsible. Completely, no, it completely is. irresponsible. If, uh, if you go and just Google One Health, um, there's a massive drive worldwide talking about One Health where veterinarians and medical personnel have worked together to ensure the well-being of humans mm. and mankind in general because we rely a lot on animals from everything from draft power to companionship to food. Yes. And uh, rabies is a very, very strong focus of, of the whole One Health concept. And that is a critical, critical one, particularly in KwaZulu-Natal. Um, rabies is an interesting one. It, it's it's compl- it's very difficult to eradicate because it has a sylvatic cycle. In other words, there's a there's a, a natural reservoir for the rabies virus in the wild population of wild animals. Mm. So and it spills over into the domestic dog population on a regular basis. 
And the only way to do that is vaccinate, vaccinate, vaccinate. I mean, I myself as a veterinarian have been vaccinated. Yeah, I'm sure rabies. because you could get bitten by, correct, by correct. an animal. But if you, if you own a dog, you have to vaccinate it. No, it's rabies. very important. And I mean, does that vaccination prevent it completely? Protect them completely? It is a very good vaccination. They use a modified, um, a, um, a modified virus, mm. um, which, which they inject and, uh, it is, it, it produces provides very good immunity yes. um, you do and again that's one of the diseases uh, can I vaccinate every three years yes probably do I want to take a chance I don't mm. know let's talk mm. to my vet if I yes. live in KwaZulu Natal I probably don't want to take a chance I want to vaccinate my no, dog every sure. single year to make sure, sure. You know, if I'm in a very sort of low exposure area but it's I, I'd need to check on the legislation again it, it might still be yes. a legal requirement to vaccinate yeah, uh, on yes and I think certainly rabies. if you're going to transport your pet uh, you, you've yeah, got to have or put them in a kennel or anything like that yeah, if, if you're going overseas as well anybody who's gone through yeah. the immigration process with their pets will know no. it's, a, it's a hell of a story yeah no they have to be vaccinated I mean I'm, I personally do believe that this is the way to protect you and, of course, your animal, that little part of your family. So cats and dogs, hey, Dr. Clint? Correct. You can cats. vaccinate cats as well? Cats need to be vaccinated against rabies as well. Okay. Um, they obviously have different diseases that affect them, um, but vaccination is just as important in cats. Well, I think that has covered quite a bit. Yeah. And I, no, I certainly know a lot more now. <laughs> and yeah, I'm going I, home to check my vaccination schedule. Rather just vaccinate. It's just so much it. easier. It's yeah. quick. It takes two minutes. Yeah. It's not costly. The, the, the dog or cat doesn't even feel it. Yeah. Quick, quick, quick. And I know that a lot of the shelters do have campaigns often, and they run campaigns to vaccinate uh, against rabies. So. And the state does as well. Yeah, the state does it. So SPCA is, you can go and have it done. Correct. The SBCAs, um, the, the, the state will obviously, the state vets, mm. the state vet department yes. will, you know, they often, they, 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 they run massive vaccination yes. campaigns all around the country. I think they do in the rural areas and the townships. In the rural and mm. poorer areas, right. yes. And it just shows, it just highlights how important, how important it is. Dr. Kim, thanks so much again Always for being with us. I think when we're back next week, uh, no, next week, next month, um, I want to actually continue this conversation, look at the other conditions um, affecting animals, but specifically hip dysplasia. I've had a lot of my readers asking about that. It seems to we be quite, quite prevalent. But thank you again. And Jono, I'm, you know, this is our last show together. Yes, for now. Like we know, you know, I'm just in the room next door. You know, next week, Sharon, I'm going to be sitting there telling you to wrap up. Oh, your well, show. you're going to be the one sitting yes, there shouting. Yes, I'm going to say, Sharon, wrap up, wrap up, wrap up. But don't worry, Jono fans, uh, he's going to be right, and I'm probably going to drag him in every now and again. Yes, for sure. <laughs> so we'll be back next week. Thank you so much to listen for listening to us again. Remember to podcast, share, tell people about us. We need your support. And until we back again next Wednesday, hug all your pets for us. Cliffcentral.com